Quick CYA, otherwise known as a disclaimer, the following podcast includes financial information that is for informational purposes only. The information shared comes from the opinion of the host, that would be me, from personal experience, research, and advice from others. I am not a certified financial advisor, nor do I have any financial credentials besides an interest in learning more. I hope you find this information helpful, but do not make any financial decisions solely based on the information provided here. Thank you. I'm your host, Sarah Boss, and welcome to Attainable Podcast. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Attainable Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Boss. Um, first thing, I am recording, I'm recording live in New York City, and I'm right beside Madison Square Garden, so there's, like, cars and, like, construction and, like, all the things, and uh, we got a new mic, which is super exciting, except it picks up, like, literally everything. We've turned off the AC, like, done the whole thing, Um, so if the audio is, if you hear, like, some cars beeping or some extracurricular sound... You know, think of it as part of the experience. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And before we get started into the topic today, uh, we're talking about money. So this should be very exciting. Not boring at all. Don't tune me out. If you don't usually like talking about that, you find it boring, we're going to make it not boring. It's going to be great. Um, But I did want to thank you so much for the support on the launch last week. You guys were amazing. We grew the uh, Instagram to over like 120 people on the first day which is insane. And I super appreciate you guys keep sharing. Uh, we've got, of course, I shared my goals last week for this podcast. So we've got some big goals for this year and you are a huge part of making that happen. Um, so I did want to take some time to thank you uh, so much for your support. Um, and now we can kind of, we can get started. So today we're talking about attainable money. Of course, we've got kind of attainable thing going on and we're talking about money, how to make it, how to manage it, how to budget, how to invest it, how to save it, the whole thing. Um, I'm going to try and make this quick because I think when you go drone on and on and on, it's just like too much information, especially about money. So today we're going to go over what I call the big basics. I'm going to go over budgeting, credit cards, and then saving and investing, which I bundle into kind of like one category, and we'll talk about that. So let's get started. Um, If you hear the word budget and it makes you cringe, we need to knock that out right now. I... And I'll be, I'll be honest, like everybody makes budgets sound like so unfun. If somebody comes at me with the envelope system, I would also want to punch them in the face, but you got to think of a budget as something different. I think of my budget as how it is something that allows me, oh, there we go. Big old honk. I wonder if you heard that probably did. Um, my budget allows me to spend money. It doesn't restrict me from spending money. It tells me exactly how much I'm able to spend. And it, you need to think of it in, a, in terms of abundance. And when, why I don't like the envelope system or like the category system of, oh, like having this much to spend here, this much to spend here, that, that has never worked for me because as soon as I feel restricted in my money is when I start to spend it. So here is, we're going to go over how to create the budget, like very easy, and then how to manage it. Um, so when you're creating your budget, I want you to sit down, get a Google Excel sheet. We have a um, like Google Sheets, uh, the same budget that I use, a downloadable in the description box if you want to use mine. Um, so you can have it right there and you don't have to like do all the 
uh, like formulas and the boxes and all that kind of stuff. I really like using Google Sheets because I am able to update it from my phone, and that's super important. Um, I also find it to be super important to manually update your budget rather than using an app. Um, I think that's probably an unpopular opinion, but being able to manually see what's happening and control it, uh, I just trust myself a lot more. And it keeps you from being passive. You know what I mean? Like you want to be able to be updating it and understanding, hey, what's going on because you're actively in it. So first thing, you're going to take out your, your Google Sheet, your Excel Sheet, whatever, and you're going to write down your monthly income. So each month, this is how much you're taking in. If you have a like regular uh, like office or nine to five kind of job, like salary job, this will be a... Um, the consistent number. And if you are like me, um, and you have unstable income or rather I'll say fluctuating income. When I first developed my budget, um, my income varied every month because I did freelance uh, makeup artistry. So how many jobs I got, all that kind of stuff. So if you are in that boat, what I did is the income from the month before is what dictates my spending for the month that you're in. So say I made, again, we're going to be using easy numbers today. Nothing that's very like, I mean, you know, nothing that's like realistic or coming from experience or anything. It's just numbers I can do easy, easy math. So if say I made like $2,000 in May, then my budget in June will be based on an income of $2,000. And that's because that is money that I have seen come into my account. Um, like, you know, I actually know it's there. It's not something I'm predicting. So write down your monthly income, and then you write down your regular bills and savings. So regular bills are going to be your rent, it's going to be like your phone payment, your car payment, all that kind of stuff. And then your savings, that should be considered a bill. So whatever you're saving for, and we'll talk about savings in a bit, what what you should be saving for, what accounts, etc. Um, that should be the first thing that you pay. Um, so in mine, like, you know, I've got whatever, $100, a couple hundred dollars going to uh, like the travel savings account, um, a couple hundred dollars going to buy emergency savings account, et cetera, et cetera. Categorize them and think of them just as bills. So then you have, okay, your monthly income minus your bills and your savings because bills you have to pay and then savings you're paying yourself first. So that's huge. Then you're going to track your spending for one month. This is when you're uh, establish establishing your first budget. You know, don't like be restrictive or anything. Just see, okay, what a month of spending looks like. And this is really easy to do. If you just look at like your last month, um, look at your bank statements and see exactly what you spent. And you're taking out like the, like the bills and taking out savings deposits. These are like, go, went out to eat. You bought some clothes, like the, um, like quote, unnecessary purchases, purchase that you don't necessarily need to live. Now, question that comes up there, where do groceries go? That's kind of dependent on you. Um, I've had my budget done before where I said, okay, in my, my like bills column, my uh, grocery like budget, I put like $200 for groceries or something. Um, I've also done it and I do it now where I don't set like a budget for groceries. I just track like my groceries just like any other purchase. Um, but then at the end of the month, I'll usually add up and see how much I spent on groceries just to stay aware. And if I'm spending too much, then I can, you know, calibrate later. So you look at your last month of spending and say, okay, like what did I spend on? And you categorize 
office expenses, saying, okay, I, I spend this much on restaurants, this much on clothes, like that. And this is not to shame. Never do this in terms of like, oh, I shouldn't have spent this money. Never do this in terms of shaming. This is what you spent to like live the life that you're used to and a life that you like to live. So just establish, okay, here's what I did. Now, does this reflect like what I actually want to do? So if you spent, you know, $200, $300 on going out to eat, okay, are you okay with that? Or are you not okay with that? doesn't matter what other people think. Are you okay with that? I know that um, like my going out to eat budget is probably bigger than others because Joseph and I love to go out to eat. This is something that we value. And so that's going to be higher. And I know that's something that people usually try and uh, keep very low, but I don't spend very much on clothing or um, like going shopping and things like that. That's a super low piece of my budget because I just don't do it very often. So it's very dependent on your lifestyle and what you want to do. So you've got, okay, monthly income, you've written down your bills and your savings minus that. You tracked your spending for a month and then you've categorized that spending into, okay, what did I spend? Now, of course, your income minus your bills and your savings minus what your, I will call like extra spending is, that would be like the total for the month. Okay, did you go positive or were you negative? The goal is to go net zero. And here's why. Each month, I I always have extra just because like that's how I've set up and that's just how my monetary behavior is. So every month, I'll see, okay, my monthly income with this, I paid these bills. This is how much I spent on like regular like purchases. All my savings are accounted for and I still have like $200 left, whatever that may be. Those $200 will then be either allotted to like one savings account or sometimes I'll split it into others. So that month ends up at net zero. Your money doesn't do any good just sitting in your checking account. And if you each month you're going by and you're in positives, then you're just kind of collecting money in that checking account and when it could be used elsewhere. Now, is it better to be positive than negative? Obviously. But it comes into question, okay, what do you do with the extra money? That extra money goes into your savings. Um, and that's that way you can save on the front end where you're like paying your bills and the back end where at the end of every month you gather up what you spent take the extra and then you also put into savings. And so that's um, what I call like front end, back end saving. And I got a whole blog post about it. So that's how you do your budget, you know, with your spending, adjust accordingly. If you're saying, hey, I spent a lot this month on et cetera, X, Y, Z, whatever, I'm not going to do that next month. But by manually putting it in your budget, you're staying aware, you're staying on top of it. Now, some key things to stick to a budget. Like we said, you have to be like, you need to do it manually. I think that's just a hard, fast rule. Um, maybe apps work for you, but just be aware of your own behavior. If you know that you've used apps before and you just kind of forget about them or whatever, then try a manual budget. You can still have it on like Google sheets on your phone. And then whenever you swipe your card, you add it to your budget right there. Uh, and also don't think of it as something that's restrictive. Um, when, I have on my budget sheet, um, when I put in my monthly income, each month I have this green box and that is my monthly income minus my bills and savings. So instead of saying, oh, you know, again, easy money, $2,000 and then, oh man, minus 500 for bills, minus 500 for savings deposits, whatever. 
that green box already has subtracted those important things. And what I pay attention to is the green box. So it says $1,000. So I'm like, wow, $1,000. Okay, I have $1,000 to spend this month on whatever I want because I know my savings and my bills are taken care of. It's, it's a mental thing, guys, especially... If you have your savings, um, yet you are like manually sending money to your savings, I highly recommend automating it. So you're ne you never see it and it never feels like a loss. It should always feel like a gain because then every time you go into your savings, it could, it's going to be a little bit higher and you'll have forgotten because you have money automatically going through. Okay. So there's budgets. Now let's briefly talk about credit cards. Um, if credit cards are scary, we have, I did like an in-depth episode. Um, one, it was one of my first episodes. Um, so if you scroll back. I think it's like how to pick the best credit card for you. And that's a really informative one, but I wanted to go over some basics for you. So credit cards, um, obviously they act like a debit card, but it is when you're essentially getting kind of like a loan from the bank or whoever you get your credit card from. They're saying, Hey, you can spend this much money on this card um, and you don't need to pay it in cash from like your checking account until you're ready. That kind of thing. Now, we're going to talk about some rules, and what we know is that when we use our credit card, we pay it off immediately, and we'll go over that in a second. So with credit cards, everybody gets really scared about the interest rate. Listen, credit cards are your friend if you use them wisely and you understand your own uh, like money and spending behavior. So when you go and you look for a credit card, they're going to have this cute thing called an APR, and you're like, what the? what is that? It's called an annual percentage rate, again. What, what is that? Um, same thing as interest rate for a credit card. When it comes to like loans, APR and interest rate are different. Um, but for a credit card, it's just the interest rate. It's saying, hey, um, it's the percentage rate that you'll be charged on the balance of your credit card if you don't pay it off at the end of the billing cycle. Usually that billing cycle is like 30 days. Um, some credit cards, uh, like my business credit card is 60 days, but typically on a normal credit card, it is 30 days. So if you put a $20 charge and you have a like 20% APR and you don't pay it off in 30 days, then you are going to get a 20% charge on top of that on that $20. So that's like, what is that? $4? Joseph, is 20% of $20 $4? Yeah. Okay. I'm not, okay. <laughs> I wanted to make sure. But anyway, so instead of paying the $20 that you spent on things that you want to spend on, you're now paying $24 and an extra $4 for just to go to the bank. That's a complete waste. I would aim for 25% and below. Um, 20 is like kind of a nice hit for me. Um, of course, that sounds very high. Credit cards are high, but you use it wisely and the APR should not matter because you shouldn't be carrying a balance over. A credit card is not something that you should be like, oh, I can't afford something, so I'll put it on my credit card. That's not how we're going to think about this. But when you're looking at and you're shopping for credit cards, one, look at the rewards. I talked about that in the last episode, and I'll, um, if you want to go back and hear more about how to pick reward systems and stuff like that, you can go back to that one. But um, when you're looking at the APR, it'll say like APR between 15 and 25% you will get a different interest rate based on your credit score. And if you don't know your credit score or you don't have one, download Credit Karma. Actually, regardless, if you don't have Credit Karma, you need to download it. It is your best friend. Um, it is how I I found out that I owed um, money for a student loan that I never took out. It completely saved my behind. Um, so absolutely check that out. Credit, card, credit Karma is the best. Now they're going to give you like, Oh, you qualify for this credit card or whatever. They're going to give you like advice 
on, hey, if you want to raise your credit score, you can do this. I, you know, those little notifications you get, ignore them. Um, they're a business just like anybody else. Um, and do your own research before you make those kind of decisions. But for your first credit card, if you don't have a credit score established, that's totally fine. Your first credit card, um, I would recommend going to the bank that you've been with and getting their starter card. All like normal banks have a starter card for anybody who is just first getting started with their credit um, credit card and they're building up their credit score. Then after a few years um, of, I'd say like at least a year, I'd probably say two of, okay, I have my first credit card. I know how I use it, whatever. Then you can kind of branch out um, and look at other credit cards. I had my Bank of America card for years before I actually switched to, um, I switched to an American Airlines card. Again, I did not make that decision until I had had my credit card for probably six years. And I knew my spending habits and I understood like why I wanted the American Airlines one uh, in particular. If you are getting your first credit card, annual fees are an absolute no. Um, the Aviator card that I have does have an annual fee, but again, I was able to mathematically see what I spent and see what I earned and the rewards I would get, and it went ahead and paid that off. Um, and again, after a couple of years, like you know, what's valuable to you. So here's some four, like four rules. First credit card on how to manage your credit card. One, treat it like a debit card. Treat it like a debit card. If you are scared of it first use it for gas like only use it for gas and that way you're not racking up a bunch of purchases and you know okay this is what i use this credit card for and you can get into that habit of saying okay spent money on gas pay the credit card off but it's still like small balances to work with treat it like a debit card every purchase i make runs through my credit card because i want the points and it's also because i understand that i will pay it off every single month. I pay it off multiple times a month so that I'm not having to wait until the end of the month. Um, I don't know. That just like, that works for some people, but I don't like doing the whole lump sum. Two, do not spend more than you can afford. I repeat, do not spend more than you can afford. Your credit card, like balance or whatever, like the um, like balance you have left to spend, that is, don't even pay attention to that number. You pay attention to what you can afford that month in your budget, and that's what you spend on your credit card, not what the credit card has allotted to you. Credit card's a liar, okay? We don't care what the maximum spending is. We care what you can spend that month on your own budget. Three, everything from your credit card goes on your budget sheet. Just like if you were to swipe for a meal on your debit card, you put it on your budget sheet. Same thing for the credit card. You put that on your budget sheet. That is money that is spent. You may not have paid that credit card off yet, but that is money that is now owed by you. That goes straight to your budget sheet so that you can say, okay, I'm still keeping track of everything I'm spending for the month and I can see what money I have left. And number four, you pay it off every month. Uh, for when I had my Bank of America card, and that was obviously attached to my Bank of America uh, checking account, I would swipe my card, go to my phone, to the app, send the money over before my charge even hit. Because so I was like, I'm not dealing with that. Um, now I have a credit card outside of my bank, um, and I now use Navy Federal Credit Union because I, I left Bank of America. Not a fan. Um, feel free to DM me if you want information about that. Um, but I, I did not like them, and. Anyway, but my credit card is outside, so now I usually pay it off probably like once a week or maybe once every two weeks. Okay, so now for the kind of scary stuff, we're going to go over this saving, investing, investing, retirement planning, all that kind of stuff. A lot of this just has to do with um, like account management and uh, 
personal like savings goals. So first let's talk about the order in which to do these things because a big question that comes up is like, Sarah, like this is where I am and I have student debt and should I be investing? Should I be saving? Do I need to save for retirement? What's emergency savings? All that kind of thing. Okay. We're going to do it right now. First thing that you should be worried about, and this is obviously you know, we'll have a disclaimer in the front of this episode. I'm not a financial advisor. These are my opinions. I like to speak about money and I, you guys are my friends. And so just as I would tell a friend over lunch, this is the advice I would give with, you know, grain of salt saying, do what you want. This is what's worked for me. And I really appreciate when somebody my own age talks to me on my own terms. So if you're in that boat, understand that I'm not the hard and fast rule. I just really enjoy talking about it and this is what's worked for me. So here's what the uh, order that I recommend in saving, investing, those kind of things. One, emergency fund. Start building your emergency fund. Your emergency fund is a like kind of, you could say like an oh shit account or a, if I lose my job or something terrible happens, you know, I'll be able to live off of this fund for X amount of time. When I established my emergency fund, my first goal was uh, three months. I wanted three months of monthly spending. So when you had did your budget, you were able to see, Hey, you know, I spend this much on bills. I put this much in savings and I typically spend this month this much on like those extracurricular purchases. And so each month my life, like to live the life I live right now, cost around $2,000 a month, you know, whatever that number may be. Know what your life per month like costs, if that makes sense. So then when you're looking at your emergency savings, you say, okay, my bills cost this much. Um, I need to be able to have this much spending money each month. And then three months of that is what number? Okay. So say, you know, your bills are $500 and you need $500 to like spend on like clothes and food and like other things that you're going to need. So monthly, you're going to need at least a thousand dollars a month in order to survive. So three months of that, $3,000. That's how that works. My first goal was uh, three months, and then uh, when I hit three months, my second goal was six months. Uh, I think six months is at the golden, but if you are like, okay, I just need to establish that account, do three months, and then you can move towards the next um, things that we're going to talk about. So get your emergency fund established. Second, debt. Now, you need to, obviously, you need to be paying off debt, like, clearly still pay your like student loan bill or whatever that is while you're establishing your emergency fund. But before you like start dumping money, it, like, cause it comes to the end of the month, you have the extra $200. Where do you put that? I say that do the emergency fund first because you aren't going to be able to predict that your, your debt will be there and you'll be paying off that monthly payment. But if you like, you can't predict when you're going to lose your job. And if you wait until you have paid off your debt to make your emergency fund, you might run into that moment where you're going to need it and you won't have it. So you got your emergency fund. Then you can start like dumping money into debt. Debt is something that you, sh- I mean, you should, you should be very aware of it. And you sh- that should be a huge goal to pay that off. Cause that will stay on your back for a long time. And so there are uh, like debt management plans and there are calculators online that you can say, okay, if I pay extra, whatever amount per month, um, then I'll have this debt paid off in this many years. Um, I would recommend paying over, especially for student loans, paying over that amount because oftentimes the amount that they allot for you for just like, okay, monthly payments, it 
it makes it so you're going to be paying that off forever. I would try my best to pay it off early. So you've got your emergency fund, you've got your debt payment plan, then you start looking at retirement. So retirement accounts, um, it can be something like a 401k or an IRA. I'm going to talk about like Roth IRAs. So the difference between a 401k and a Roth IRA, a four, and just very brief, we're not going to go into the tax stuff, just very brief. 401k is something that you get from like your company. Um, so you put in some and then they usually say, okay, like we'll match up to this amount. That's great. 401ks are amazing. Here's what the problem I see though. Um, young people that graduate college or, or I had mine, like my four, or Roth IRA before I, uh, I think actually like my sophomore year of college, I got it, something like that, whatever. Don't wait until you have a nine to five job to start saving for retirement. Just because you can't get a 401k doesn't mean you can't get what's called a Roth IRA. So Roth IRA is a different kind of uh, retirement account. You can get it before you have a nine to five job. It's like, instead of your company providing your retirement plan, you're going to provide one for yourself. Now you absolutely can have both. So when you get your big job and they offer a 401k, have both because the Roth IRA has like a cap every year that you can put in it. I'm sure a 401k probably has the same thing. So you can just max out those accounts and keep going. Each account is, is an investment investment account. So that money is being invested is going to uh, have compounding interest build on itself. And so there are calculators online as well that you can use to say, Hey, if I, you know, start out with this much money and I put this much in per month, um, and my like rate of growth is X, Y, and Z, how much money will I have in 20 years? I highly suggest uh, looking at one of those calculators because it's super rewarding and you can see how much you want to put in per month based on when you want to retire. So that's, you know, I know it was very brief. We can go in depth on that. If you want me to go more in depth on any of these topics, send me a DM at Attainable Podcast um, and I'll do an episode specifically on that topic. So you've got your emergency fund, you've got your debt management plan, you have, you are saving for retirement, you have your Roth IRA or your 401k and you're depositing that into in every month. Then there's short-term savings. Short-term savings are savings accounts for things that you want to buy in the short term. So this is buying a house, buying a car. I have a travel savings account because I enjoyed traveling. So I want to make sure that I have money for that every time I want to go travel. Let's talk briefly about investing. Okay. So when you go to invest, so when you go to invest, you've already, you have your debt management plan. Hopefully you're like paying it off or it's already paid off. You have your emergency fund. You're saving for your retirement. So you've already kind of got, you dabbled your toes in investing because retirement savings is investing. And you also have your short-term savings account. You're save, you have an account to save up for that house or the down payment of the house or whatever that may be. So then you can look at investing. When you go into investing, don't be intimidated. It's the same thing as the other accounts in terms of you go with your goals in mind. Like what do you want to do with that money? Based on what you want to do with that money can dictate where you want to put it. So let's ease into this. So investing, you can do like self 
like you can invest and manage that yourself, or you can have a broker with uh, like self-managed investing. You go through like a company like Vanguard or Fidelity, and you are the one like buying and selling stocks or bonds or whatever you are investing in. Um, so that is your decision. If you have a broker, then that person is advising you. You have the ultimate say, um, but they'll say, hey, you know, this company is doing this or based on your goals. Um, the first thing that they should do is go over your life goals. Like, what do you want to be doing in 10 years? What's your income now? You know, what is your spending habits? And then they'll make a plan that's best for you. They'll say, hey, you know, this looks really good. I think we should invest this. Um, you should open this account now because you have this amount of money and you're able to, um, like, open that account because you have the account minimum and that will, like, greater, you know, you can invest more, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, they'll be able to advise you in that way. What do I recommend? I recommend a broker. So Joseph actually um, did, like, he did six months where he invested for himself and then he did uh, and compared it to his gains with a broker. Um, we both use Edward Jones. And um, that's not like a person. Edward Jones is um, an investment company. We have like two different brokers within that company. But anyway, and he saw significant gains from using a broker than doing uh, like self-investing. So for the same reasons that I recommend a broker, using a broker, they're going to have a lot more knowledge than you do. They have just more inside knowledge. That's their literal job. So that's what they're looking at all day. Um, and I knew that they would be able to advise me in uh, like decisions that would give me more gain than I would. You know, you can see, okay, and the gains minus their fees, uh, which you don't pay like out of pocket fees. It's not like every time I go to my broker, I pay him like $100 to talk to him and then he does what I need. Um, they get paid based on commissions, on the stocks and accounts and all that kind of stuff. Kind of on the back end, you never see it, but those uh, those fees, or like the gains minus the fees that they make were still more than he saw over six months of investing for himself. So that's why I recommend a broker, but you absolutely do what you want. So let's define some terms before we close out for the day. Um, so when you're going to invest, it's kind of like you're like looking at a menu, okay? And obviously menus have different categories, and then there's different things you can pick in each category. Pasta, then you have like five different types of pasta. Salad, you have like five different types of salad. St like looking at what you can invest in is kind of the same thing. You have like, uh, like mutual funds. Maybe a category on the menu, but then you can pick which mutual fund that you want to invest in. So let's go over some terms. First of all, stocks. Stocks are a share of the company. It's kind of like a big pie, and the company's saying, hey, everybody gets a piece of the pie. You pay for your little piece, and then as the company grows, you earn money with us. Cool. The bigger the piece that you have, the more money that you're getting from that growth. The stock market is like the marketplace is to uh, like buy stocks. And this is dictated by the emotions of the like stock managers and the trends of what's going on. That's why you see in like world news, if um, like a tragedy happens or something happens, there's a reflection in the stock market because it's based on, you know, people getting scared and selling everything or being really excited and then buying everything. It's very emotion driven. So let's talk about risk. Uh, risk, there's different risks and different types of investments. So stocks have a higher risk than something like bonds. Warren Buffett tends to have a pretty, he's a pretty low risk um, investor. If you read like the books on him, he's not one of those things where I feel like people hear stocks and they think that you have to be like hustling and constantly looking and buying and selling. Absolutely not. Like that's, can you? Totally. But 
that's not how you need to invest at all. It's, I wouldn't say that's how most people invest. Um, cause I, I mean, honestly, that's just annoying and you can get really mixed up again in your own em- emotions of buying and selling. A lot of it's like holding and like letting it grow for years and years. Anyway, so your uh, different investments have different risks. And so, but your risk tolerance is absolutely based on you. If you have something that is um, like a shorter term goal, you might want to go like medium to low risk so that, hey, when you go to buy that thing and say you're in a high risk account and everything tanks, you're not all of a sudden out of money when you need it. Now, if you have a much longer term or like, you know, goal and you've got 10, 20 years to let that market do what it wants, then you can get a higher risk because um, usually the market trends higher over a long period of time. Bond, that's a low risk uh, type of investment. It's like a loan to a company where they say, okay, they'll pay a rate of return um, or like pay you back in interest. So thank you so much for your money. I'm going to give you your money back plus whatever percent. Very low risk. It's not like the stocks where it's uh, fluctuating by the market. So an investment fund, it's like a big investment soup. It's like a big bucket and there's a ton of stuff in there like stocks, bonds. And so you can invest in a fund. And why you would do this is say, hey, like I like stocks and how they have a, like a lot of growth potential, but they are kind of higher risk. And I like bonds because they're lower risk, but their growth potential is a little bit lower. So you're going to invest in a fund that has a little bit of everything so that you can say, okay, as one goes up, like one goes down, it sort of balances itself out to you're growing with everything that's in it. Does that make sense? Just like a soup. It's a way when you hear the word diversify. Often it's in reference to investment funds and that saying, okay, I'm going to invest in all these things. Um, so you're not putting all your eggs in one basket because if that basket tanks, you still have your other baskets to go off of. Um, two types of funds that we'll talk about briefly, uh, mutual funds, mutual funds are managed by investors. They charge a fee, usually like one to 2% of what you're investing. Um, so they're saying, okay, I'm Joe, I manage this mutual fund. You've invested into my mutual fund and I'm looking at the mutual fund and saying, Hey, here's what I think is best and moving things around the index funds, which are super popular, um, and highly recommended. Um, they are also a portfolio of different stocks and bonds, but instead of being run by a person, it's run by a formula. That formula matches the market while mutual funds try to outperform the market. Index funds are a lot more predictable, uh, because they're just trying to, trying to match the market growth while mutual funds are trying again to beat that market over a long period of time. What, and this is what I've read. It's, um, I think it's been seen usually index funds over a long period of time perform better. Um, They're more predictable, a little bit, quote, safer, Mm, you know, do what you want with your own information. Um, But that's the difference between a mutual and an index fund. All you need to know, mutual funds are run by a person and there's a fee. Index funds are run by a formula and they try and match the market. Okay, deep breath. How do you feel? I know so much information. Um, each of these topics can be obviously flushed out a lot within themselves. Um, and everything that I say, take with a grain of salt. This is my own information, my own research. I'm not an expert by any means. I just enjoy talking about money in terms that I understand. Uh, I hope that this is helpful. If you need, um, like need any advice or I shouldn't say that I don't, I don't want to give anybody money advice, but 
if you just want to talk to a friend um, about uh, anything that we talked about today, feel free to DM me um, either at Attainable Podcast or you can DM me directly at Sarah E. Boss. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please go ahead and go to Apple Podcasts and um, put a rating, a five-star rating, you know, is kind of like the norm around here, but do what you want. Um, but five star is preferred. And on Spotify, you can subscribe to the podcast and those are great ways to support us and the show. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.